If you could spend one day in the past, where would you spend that day? This is one of the discussion topics today with me and Robert. I think we've never been one-on-one on a show, so this will be we're on a, on a road trip. And for the time to pass, we play the questions game. So one of the questions is, where would you want to spend one day in the past? Another question, one book that needs to be written that hasn't been written yet. And maybe if we get to the third point, three people from history with whom you and me would want to have dinner. And no, Ayn Rand is not going to be the obvious first answer because that would be too predictable. But today, this episode is brought to you by our very good sponsors and friends and supporters and people who do a great job overall, even if they were not sponsors, the Quen Corder Fine Art Gallery. So, Robert, tell us a bit more about... Just so. Always an honor and pleasure to be supported by Quent Cordaire Fine Art. Quent Cordaire Fine Art has been making the world an even more beautiful place for 27 years. Specializing in romantic realist paintings and sculptures, the gallery's collection emphasizes themes which celebrate the moments of happiness, joy, success possible to man on earth. Acquire art you will want to live with by visiting them online at cordair.com, C-O-R-D-A-I-R.com, or in their Napa, California, and Jackson, Wyoming locations. And the exciting announcement, we mentioned the last time they were good enough to support this show, the new Ayn Rand portrait prints have arrived. You can visit the link in the description and the pinned comment, look in that description on YouTube, get yours today for every print purchased. Use the code ARCUK, and Quent Court Air Fine Art will donate $25 to the ARCUK. You know, you support the ARCUK with your super chats, with your memberships, but there's another way you can painlessly just automatically send some funds to the organization and support it. Thank you very much to Quent Court Air Fine Art. A day spent at courtair.com is a day well spent. And also tell us in the comments what would be your choice for a day where you'd want to live in the past. So, Roberts, I will go first. Good. I will give a completely objectivist, politically incorrect answer. So most people <laughs> would expect, oh, I would want to live in ancient... Spend Again, this is spend one day, not live permanently. Spend one day in ancient Athens with Aristotle. No, like what would I do there? I wouldn't know the habits. I would be completely a foreigner. What about the United States at the time of the founding fathers? Or yeah, again, I don't fit, I wouldn't fit there. I don't know much about that period, so it wouldn't tell, it wouldn't do much for me. So my choice would be I would want to spend one day in Paris in the 1960s, early 1960s. Why? Because the way I have it in my mind, it would be a very beautiful day. I would wake up, open my window, I would see. You get the image, right? Not necessarily the Eiffel Tower, but these nice buildings in Paris. I'd start my day with a coffee and a nice French cigarette. Not Goylas, I didn't like them. Maybe Pamal. Then I go out for a walk by the scene. I stop at a cafe, second coffee, a couple of more cigarettes, do a bit reading there. Then go back home, take your nice French baguette, have a short lunch. 
And then I would go to maybe one of the cultural places or a museum. I would visit a museum. Now we're in the afternoon. Then another baguette. Then maybe in the early evening, in one of the intellectual events. I mean, most of the intellectual would be leftists or conservatives, but who cares? I would be a nice company. Imagine I would go to listen to some good existentialists, not, uh, not the bad ones. Then maybe another baguette. I assume there's not much else to eat in the 60s. And then a nice drink with some more cigarettes. And then the day is over. So my first choice would be Paris of the 60s. Another choice, which is, again, politically incorrect, I would be very curious to spend one day, one day, no more than one day, in the Eastern Bloc, in a communist mm-hmm. country. Yeah. Why? Because I've read so much about this historical period, and I would be so curious to see how life, one day life, would be there. I'd probably choose East Germany, so one day in East Germany. Again, why? Because it's something which is a topic that I'm interested in. Spend one day, not spend any, not spend more than that. That's fascinating because you've chosen two. And I did the same thing, and for reasons that have a lot in common with yours. Uh, folks, tell us in the chat what your idea is as, as you hear these answers. We're going to talk a little bit more about why we bring up these hypothetical questions. But real quick, I, I love the idea of Paris. You know, I don't travel a lot, but we were in Paris five years ago. And I love the idea of going back to the 1960s when it was ideal. But let me tell this for the folks back home. Paris in 2017 beautiful, almost couldn't be better, 97, call it 99.7, exactly as beautiful as you would want it to be. And I say this because some of the folks said, when you guys are going to Paris, Europe's falling apart, France is going to hell, everybody's a socialist, there's nothing worth doing there. All you're going to see is homeless people in the streets and Muslims taking over the country and none of that. None of that. Europe is doing just fine. There are things we need to fight. There are wars going on. There's real stuff going on. But Paris, uh, Nikos, yes, my heart, part of my heart is still in Paris. I'm going to sound a bit more like this reactionary conservative. I don't think Paris is, uh, because I've been to it many times throughout my youth. In the Mm -hmm. good days, we were rich in Greece. We could go to, I think it has changed a bit. uh, But anyway, that's that's a different discussion. I, I don't doubt the, the number quiet. one change, of course, which has nothing to do with uh, the smoking ban. Like, how can Paris ever be the same when you cannot smoke in the cafe? Like, can you imagine the big intellectuals in Paris being told, oh, sorry, you have to go outside? <laughs> oh, you're hitting one of my personal issues because uh, smoking bans in Michigan, here in Motown, where I'm at, uh, were passed a while back. And I fought them. I fought against the smoking bans. And yet, I loathe smoking. I love going into a restaurant or a bar where there is no cigarette smoke. Same here. Bed. Same here. But the one has I, is a different discussion. Yeah. And I did fight against the bands because that's nobody's business but the bar owner. So, yes, absolutely. Real quick, just real quick. My first thought on the time machine history questions, it's always, well, are there mysteries where I could learn the actual truth? So I want to go back to the Levant. I want to go back to... Mesopotamia. I want to find Jesus. I want to spend a day with Jesus 
Find out, was he some kind of wacky guru? Was he an ordinary person? Did he even exist? And if he's out there, I want to spend the day with him. Find out what this guy actually was, what was going on there. I think that you know James Valiant has done a great job with the book Creating Christ, giving us a hypothesis for why the stories turned out the way they did. But I want to meet the guy. I want to check that out. But so more you along the lines probably of your, meeting yeah. the most influential person in history. In whether, a, yeah, whether he deserved to be or not. Yeah. Cool. Yep. And and I was brought up religious too. So there's he's like religion still in my psychology. And as much as I can say, well, I'm an atheist, I know there is no God, there's no transcendent dimensions, there was no magical Jesus. It would still be good for my psychology to spend a day with the guy and say, yeah, yeah, that's what happened. The other thing that I would do is I would go back to 1976, May 28th, 1976, Roanoke, Virginia, the opening concert of the band Yes, because I wasn't a Yes fan back then, but it's the one show I always wished I could have seen. There, there are so many really amazing things in history that I thought I could go back to. And then I thought, well, I kind of know history. No, let me go back to something that means a lot to me. Another reason why I was glad you chose Paris for that. Well, if we play by that rules, I would want to go back to a time I was actually alive. 14th of June, 1987, the day Greece won the European Championship in basketball. It yes. was the, 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 day, the birth date of, of the rise of the Greek sports. I've seen the final a million times, but I was just, it was just before I started following sports. So I grew up with this story and uh, I would want to be there. But again, this is a slightly different question, which is which historical event you'd like to, uh, to witness. So right. in the question which historical era you'd want to spend one day in, you'd want to go back in time and uh, see if Jesus Christ was there. Let me push you a bit more on that. I put this more in the category of which is the historical personality you'd want to meet. When it comes to the atmosphere, when it comes to walking around the streets, strolling, sitting, resting somewhere, what would be your choice for that? Well, my first answer for that was, um, I want to spend the day with Thomas Jefferson, and I want him to do all the talking. But since you mentioned Paris, can you imagine going to Paris and spending time with, with Benjamin Franklin and La Procope? They're so tough choices. One of the Any of the founding fathers, especially Franklin or Jefferson, spend the day, again, just, just listening, just taking it in. That would be beautiful. Yeah. But... That's a time where I think we would have troubles uh, accommodating ourselves in. I always remember a tour in Old Edinburgh, in Old Edinburgh. And the tour guide told us, if I would put you people today, as you are today, in a time capsule, as you are, and release you in the Edinburgh of the 19th century, the first thing that would happen to you, you would faint. Because the smell... If you experience a smell, if you, if you get used to smells, you don't notice them. But you, from 2000, back then was 2009, going back to the 19th century, you'd immediately faint because the smell would be something uh, and uh, you wouldn't be able to handle it. That's why I think the 96s for me is the sweet spot. Not too old, not too much of a different place, but also a different place from where we are today. So that would be my choice for... Uh, for one day for one day trip now, so now i don't that... know if you can see comments i can't because i haven't got the screen yes okay 
Yeah, and we are short on super chats. I want to see some super chats. I want to see your comments stand out. They deserve to stand out. Hit that dollar sign. Throw a few dollars our way at the Ayn Rand Center UK to support what we're doing. There are a few good comments in here, although several of them are romance-oriented. Uh, speaking of our show sponsors, Quentin Cordair Fine Art, Lynn Cordair says, well, 1981, Southwest Florida, the day I met Quentin Cordair, before we went our separate way for 20 years and finally meeting again, I would love to have had that extra 20 years with him. That's a beautiful thought right there from the doyen of Quent Cordaire Fine Art. Thank you for that. Uh, Tom says the signing of the Declaration of Independence. Paulo Zeus, our resident jokester, says Bridget Bardot's bedroom on July 28th, 1964. Of course, uh, Bardot in her prime. So great again, answer, people, but... you are you are telling me historical events. We're, we're right. asking for historical periods, not necessarily the day of uh, the day of the events although that would be an interesting topic for a future thursday so let's keep it in mind dear producer well, what historical regard, event we'd want to be part of now in that regard we have we have two super chats that just rolled in but i also want to say the way you're framing this nikos is good because you know two weeks ago on the cutting edge the cutting edge with dr pearson they had a conversation about imagination emotion and cognition and it included a great discussion of hypotheticals of how you actually can do science with thought experiments, because one way or another, they're always connected back to reality and made the point, and I would have made it even more strongly, how cognition itself requires imagination, requires that ability at least to entertain a hypothetical. So, you know, Dr. Pearson gave a great example of how Galileo actually discovered new knowledge from thought experiments. These are not just hypotheticals. They're great fun. It's a great conversation to have, but you can actually have new insights and new ideas from these. So love a conversation like this, and I love harvesting it, getting getting the good stuff out of it. Mary Aline, I think, agrees because she is in with a 399 Super Chat. Thank you for that, Mary Aline. Uh, no question, just support. The same from Jonathan Honig at 499. Thank you very much for that, Mr. Honig. And finally, Roland Horvath is in with a Super Chat and says... Oh, his answer. Ocon 2010. I was actually there, but I'd love to relive it. So there you go. Ocon There's a good 24 hours or a good week. 2010. That was the first Ocon I ever went to. Before then, it was a conceptual conferences. 2010, Red Rocks in Las Vegas. I'd have been there, but I was busy, A, being in the army, B, being an nihilistic uh, Marxist. So I missed that one. Actually, last year was my first, uh, my first, my first ever Ocon. Are you coming this year? I will. I will be at Ocon. Everybody should be at Ocon twenty twenty three. It's going to be hot, literally. It's down in Miami, but it's going to be a great, great conference, and I am looking forward to seeing some folks who've never been before. A lot of the regulars as well, and uh, yeah, by all means, folks, you see me there. You know, tug on that shirt, say, "Hey, man," and bring it on. Good. Okay, so. Which is one book that should be written but hasn't been written yet? Well, that's a great question. I, I, I immediately when this question came up in the pre-show discussion, I thought, well, every book that needs to be written, it's really already been written. Every time I think there's a book that needs to be written, I find out somebody's already written the book. It just remains for all of the books that have been written to be read by the right person at the right time. But personally, the book that I think needs to be written is a book called Values Are Primary. 
which makes two related points that values are primary and disvalues are wholly derivative, and that your life is an end in itself. That is the book that I think needs to be written, and that's why I'm working on writing that book. So the two points I would want to make in a book that I think need to be, and they are in some ways to some extent, but values are primary, not fighting the evil, not the bad, but actually living a life. And your life is an end in itself, which is an idea that so many people, so even people who think they believe it, don't live as if they believe it. So that's the book I want to see. And if I've got to write it myself. I'll make it happen. So the other day, being a big perk of working for ARIs, you get one-on-one with the objectivist top intellectuals. So I gave, I had a meeting with one of them and he gave me the homework to read the first 16 pages from the objectivist ethics and do a deep dive in them, like word by word. The biggest part where I struggle is the part where he talks about values and life being an end in its life being the ultimate value. And this is giving me headaches. I'm trying to break it down with my own words. Here's a suggestion. Now I will do what annoying people do to people who do actual work when they do productive work. They go to them and say, oh, I think you should do this. So I'll be the annoying guy, Robert, and I'll tell you. For me, I find it difficult, a bit more difficult to get it when it's in the language of values and in the language of of the objectivist ethics. Maybe because I've read it so many times, I think if someone can put it in like whenever I see the term values, I translate it in my notes, uh, things we need to do, things to uh, things to go after and things like that. So I change the words. And this helps me a bit to understand this. So the book you are about to write is of one of the, the one topic in objectives, which for me is still very, very difficult to chew, as they say, to integrate, to absorb. So you so you will have a you will have a willing reader, particularly if you manage to simplify and make it more chewable for us uh, common uh, common people. Well, my, my target audience is not strictly objectivist, so hopefully that means it will be readable. And it's only fair if you're a reader in advance, because of course, you beat me to it with your outstanding book as well. Folks, if you, if you don't already have identity politics and tribalism, get this on your bookshelf. Thank you very much for this. Thank you. Okay. So which is the book that has not been written? A book on how to win the battle of ideas. Now, someone will say the Marxists have tried to do it. Lenin tried to do it, but he never did it in a systematic way. I have heard that many in the new rights consider a book called The Machiavellians, a a book which is a a handbook on how to to change uh, the culture and to win the battle of ideas. I've downloaded the book. I haven't read it. From our side, uh, for the new intellectual, is something like a guide on how to change the culture. But again, I'm not that clever. I cannot go to... I want to see the the, the type of the self-development books. Do this, do this, do this, do this, do this. So a book that will think... How do we change the culture? How do you we how do you make your ideas more absorbable? And how do you make your ideas more not necessarily majoritarian but more prominent? And again, if someone has any suggestion on that, that would be 
that would be I would be very interesting. And by the way, I don't care from what side it comes. <clears throat> Even if it came from a fascist, I would read it and I would try to see if the context applies to also change the world for good ideas. Now, one might say the way a communist or a fascist wants to change the world is not the same as the way you want to change the world. So that's why I'm saying I'm mostly interested on how to win the battle of ideas rather than on how to bring on the revolution. Now, is there someone who could write the book? I think at some point, Don Watkins should at least give it a try because he's someone in our side who does understand how the battle of ideas is uh, fought. So again, I'm doing this thing. I'm saying to other people, you should do this. You should do that. <laughs> That's a Now, great idea. One last thing on the books that need to be written. There's, there's literally a book for almost everything. That's why I get pissed off with uh, particularly anti-capitalist nihilists, like, oh, you know, the rich. So many rich people, successful people have written stuff that literally if you go and follow them, it's impossible, impossible, unless there's like a big tragedy in your life, it's impossible not to do well. Let me give an example. Here's a book which by Russell Branson, he happens to also be a fan of Ayn Rand, called Expert Secrets. This book is super difficult. Not difficult in terms of it's packed with good knowledge. If you, if you read and apply this book, it's almost impossible not to do something great. And this happens also with other books. It's impossible to read Extreme Ownership and not become a better person, a better colleague, a better, not even leader, like even a better team member or however you want to call it. So we're so lucky to live at a time where almost everything has been written. You are clumsy with uh, girls. You, you, you are not good in your social skills. There are a hundred books on social skills. Even if 50% of the stuff in that book is crap, you are left with 50%, which is good. So let's appreciate, let's appreciate how we live in times where good books are, good books are written. Oh my. So, Any, do we have any comments on people yes. who want well, to see books written? We have, we have some comments on the previous first question, and I've got a couple things to say about what you said. But first, I've got to give a shout out to Equal to Reality. In with 499 pounds and says, 4.99 says, I would go back to the 1990s. I was alive then, but I would like to have really experienced the pre-9-11 world. Wow. I, you know, yeah. I... I I talked to my daughter about that, and yeah, that really had an impact. Um, and obviously, just the pre-security and pre-worries and the pre, but but also the sense of life difference was actually substantial, and that kind of hurts me to realize that. Or maybe the Clinton years in the '90s. You know, I have yeah. it in my mind with the dressing. Like people were still. I call it the, the neoliberal dress. I call it like that's the piece of the the left, but. But, you know, you see films with like from the 90s or even the early seasons of Friends. It's there, there's some there's a bit more classy than it is today. So I know we we sound like two old people like, oh, everything used to be. No, <laughs> well, not everything used to be better. Again, you I'm have even, all the knowledge of the world. One click, uh, <clears throat> one click away. But I'm sense of life and style wise. Yes, I think it peak civilization was some point till the late 90s, till the <laughs> mid to late 90s. And again, my mind, I have it 97, somewhere there. 
That's interesting because I think of the 90s as the grunge period and the 80s were the last great period of, but you know, you're right because the 1990s, at least here in the States, in the colonies, that was the last time we had a balanced budget. Well, and I don't give Bill Clinton the credit for that. I give the 94 Congress, the, the Gingrich Revolution credit for that. I don't really give either of them credit for it, but the fight was so well balanced that we had that kind of gridlock that we need. I've got to give a huge shout out to Mary Aline, who was in with another super chat. And she says, I want to study history. Don't think I want to be there. The present is good. And that's a great answer too. I mentioned that in my uh, discussion I did of Ted Lasso, when Jamie is asked by Ted Lasso with one of his quirky wisdoms, now, which would you rather be, a tiger or a panda? And his answer is, uh, coach, I don't want to be either one. I'm already me. You know, it's the best thing in the world. So I absolutely get Mary Aline's perspective. I don't think there's a better time to be alive than now, but it's really hard to appreciate that. And a little bit of history might uh, drive that home. Finally, we have a super chat from Apollo Zeus as well for two pounds. Thank you very much for that. Appreciate all the super chats so far. By all means, don't stop. But you wanted that book about, yeah, how do we change the world? How do we, how do we break through? And I would love to see that, a union of the crazy left, but but effective crazy left, the Saul Alinsky rules for radicals combined or breeded somehow with, you know, FTNI for the new intellectual, that that would be, you're right, that would be a great book on how, how do we change minds? How do we change, I was going to say hearts, but really people's sense of what is right, of what this world is, what it should be. And then you're, you're right. One of the books that a lot of people have promised, but I haven't seen a book that delivers, and it's probably because a book can't do it, is you're right. We need a book. You read this book, and you realize how to take all of those other books and actually put them into action. Because we all read self-improvement books, and we get a little bit out of them. But these are change-your-life books, and they rarely change your life. So here's, here's an advice on that. And with this, we will uh, end just with a teaser on what we'll discuss next week. So I found it from a guy on Twitter. I don't remember his uh, his name, although I think I've mentioned it in a previous episode. So as you read, you create your own uh, like index, your own table of content. So everything you read, you like, okay, so for example, here, uh, page three, uh, page nine, people are uh, are looking forward to, to, to this. Or uh, page 20, See what others have said, adjust, make it yours. So these are like code words that I understand what it is. But here's the important thing. After I've read the book, I go to my own page of uh, content, sorry, table of content. And it's like in three minutes, I remember the whole book. Now, because this is a packed book, this will be maybe four, six, five, six pages. But again, or you see, for example, in page... Uh, 47, why it's okay to charge money. Actually, it's good for the people who you charge the money. Now, I see this and I remember, oh yeah, he said this and this and this and this. So do an active reading. Do re read and at the same time, store the information in a way that can be easily, uh, that you can find them easily. Okay, so preview for next week. You can have dinner with three people. Give me one of the three. Don't tell me why, just give me a name. Oh, well, then I'm going to go with uh, Edmund Rostand, author of Cyrano de Bergerac. Okay. And that might give um, you a hint what the other two would be. Okay, I'll go with Stalin. 
<laughs> By the way, the three people don't have to be friends. Right. Don't have to be. So the point is not to have a nice. So a better question is three people, you invite them one by one and you have a discussion. You have a discussion with them. So you say Rostand, I say Stalin. Find out why next week. So Robert, I'll leave you for the outro. Remind us, please, also who is who is kindly sponsoring this episode. Absolutely. Now, I will say real quick. No, I won't say it real quick. I'm going to say it real slow. Again, huge shout out to the sponsors of this episode, Quent Cordair Fine Art. Uh, go to Cordair.com, time spent at Cordair.com. Unlike a lot of what we do on the internet, time spent there is well spent and you will leave with more uh, more than you came in the door with. Uh, let's see, my ad copy just blew up on me. Here we go. You don't need copy. You already know Quent Cordair Fine Art has been making the world an even more beautiful place for almost three decades, 27 years, you cannot beat them for romantic realist paintings, sculptures, the entire collection, and it's beautifully photographed if you're following them on social media, which you absolutely should be doing on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, all of the, especially Instagram, you will see videos, you will see clips of the galleries, of the work, and it's it's like an art museum, except you get to buy the art. It could not be better than that. Their collection emphasizes themes which celebrate happiness, joy, success, the success that is possible to you, to man on earth. And you can actually acquire the art. They have programs, in fact, that make it easier for some who think, oh, art's too ambitious. It's not in my budget right now. They have programs to make that doable. Visit them online at Cordero.com. And if you're fortunate to be in California or Wyoming, stop by the Napa Gallery. Stop by that Jackson Gallery. They've got new Ayn Rand portrait prints. They have arrived. And again, if you purchase them using the code ARCUK, they're going to send at $25 to the ARCUK. And I know that you want to do that. I know we've got supporters out there because John, thank you, John, just gifted five Ayn Rand Center UK memberships on the on the YouTube channel. You know, you can become a member of the ARCUK on YouTube, get access to some feeds that are exclusive and a few fun things like special icons that are exclusive only to the YouTube members and that money too does support the ARC UK. And we've let been me tell you something about yes. ARC UK. I was thinking about today. I remember why. ARC UK is leaving a legacy, which we will not understand it for many, many, many years. So for the last couple of nights, I'm listening to the HBTV. I'm not watching it live. It's, it's late and it conflicts with stuff. But whenever I, so I'm trying to understand better altruism, for example, for my Ocon talk. And I go to HBTV and I find, particularly in the, in the Ask Me Anything, anything that Harry has been asked about altruism. And the producer, Daniel, has done has such a good job in chopping the videos in how they're called chapters, you know, where you click and it gets you to a timestamp. Anyway, and I was thinking, this is going to be there forever. Like, how many people are going to be like me? I want to understand this topic better. Of course, we have the primary sources. We have the secondary sources of our teachers, the things they have written. But also, now you can go to ARC UK and there's this infinite content, which is hopefully going to be there forever. So, well done to Razi. You're leaving a legacy. Yeah, that's a great point. We don't even know. And we already know a bunch of it but we don't even know the full breadth of what 
we're doing here is causing, and what you folks out there who are supporting the ARC UK are making possible. John is in the chat once again and says, I love the technique. This is to you, Nikos. I love the technique of rephrasing as a means of understanding. Yeah, but give me, give me, okay, as you do the outro, give me one second to find what's the name of this guy. He's a great, he's a great uh, Twitter account on books. Uh, Good. See if you can find that because I, I want to make this point before we wrap yeah. up. This is a fun conversation. These are fun conversations to have. Just like reading these books, they're they're fun reads. What I'd love for everybody to take away from this are just three words that will give you the whole takeaway, and that is reason, purpose, self-esteem. And what I mean is, if you're going to have a hypothetical conversation, where would I go in history? What book do I think needs to be written? Do that with purpose, and I don't mean make it heavy. But make notes, write something down, say, you know, out of this conversation, I got this, I got that, I wanted to achieve this, and so I made that happen. Same thing when you're reading books. Read with purpose, read actively. You don't have to make it onerous, but I love the idea of writing in the margins or taking notes, or especially, as Nico says, making your own index, using your own understanding of the material. It doesn't make it harder, it makes it more fun. And you will get more from every conversation, from every book that you read. If you need a short, how do I remember what Robert just said? Just think, do it rationally, with purpose, and with your self-esteem intact. Reason, purpose, and self-esteem. Nikos, did you find what you were Yeah, I found the guy. So he's called Alex and Books. Alex and Books. He has 300,000 followers. I'm not saying this as proof of concept, but just so that you know who is the guy to follow. Alex and Books. He completely changed the, the way... I'm reading, he reinvigorated, so two things reinvigorated my passion for reading actual books, not just Kindle, actual books. The one was a discussion I had with, with Morgan, with a member of our community in the in Edinburgh, and the other was, uh, was uh, following this guy, Alex and Books. Anyway, we can do a whole episode on how to read books and all that stuff, but that's enough for today. Many thanks, Robert. That was a pleasure. I will see you in I will see you in Ocon. Many thanks to the Cordaire Fine Art Gallery for sponsoring. Many thanks to the viewers. We appreciate not only your support with your money, but also your time, perhaps even first and foremost your time. So all the best and we will see you soon.